Hello, fabulous friends, fans, and superstars. Welcome to Synchronicity Web TV. I am your host, Nadia Shaw, and this is your moment of synchronicity. Well, I'm so excited to celebrate with you today, Becca Tarnas. Now, Becca has been out there sharing her brilliance, and she has this incredible insight. She's somebody who I've seen using astrology to empower people uh, with a lens towards love and wisdom, which I absolutely love about her work, but also her skills, her knowledge. You are about to see just how good an astrologer she is. And Becca is coming to Synchronicity University as well as part of the July 2023 speaker series. And you've got just a little time left to choose your tuition rate as low as just $5 a class, an unheard of rate to learn from Becca and other brilliant astrologers, as you are about to learn. If you don't know her already, I would be surprised, but it is Becca Tarnas. Becca, welcome. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you so much for that warm welcome. And it's so lovely to be able to have this conversation with you. And I'm really excited to offer this class for Synchronicity University. Well, I think it's going to be an exciting class and something that a lot of people don't always understand because we're so dependent on computer programs, which is great too. I mean, thank you, technology. I love that I can pull up a chart on my phone on the go, but there's something quite exciting and uh, affirming within ourselves, something that connects us to our astrological ancestors when we're able to just pull out an ephemeris and understand our transits as well. And that's going to be part of what you'll be teaching with the July speaker series. Yes, I thought that for this class, it would be really nice to go into uh, one of those practices that can sometimes fall by the wayside, depending on how we're learning astrology. And just, it's very empowering to know how to read an ephemeris and to be able to calculate your transits by hand. Um, you know, if you ever are stuck on a desert island and think about, well, what are the maybe two or three books you would have with you? I think having an ephemeris would be so valuable. And that, you know, just being able to always know where the planets are and have a sense for their motion, how long you know, Pluto moves forward before it stations retrograde and moves back. And those rhythms you really can't get a sense of unless you're holding the ephemeris in your hand and kind of flipping through the pages and you get a feeling for it. So the other portion of the class is going to be focusing on developing a thriving transit journaling practice. And this is essentially looking at your transits every morning or every evening and being able to track what's unfolding, outer planetary alignments, um, the faster moving inner planets, even tips for how to track the moon over a period of time so that you could really see those rhythms of how the moon relates to our emotions, our embodied experience, our relationships, and then writing all of that down. And it's so valuable, not only because it really deepens one's astrological study, but also in terms of a life review, how well you get to know yourself and your own kind of souls unfolding. So that's going to be uh, the other kind of uh, primary part of the, the class. So we'll have the technical side first of reading the ephemeris and um, calculating transits by hand. And then how do you apply that in essentially an archetypal study of your own life uh, through time? So that's what I'm planning on offering. 
I love the way you express that because I know it is such a powerful practice to observe how the different cycles of the planets, how they're speaking to you, certainly in your own chart as well. So that's your relationship to the sky. It makes you a better astrologer for sure. Contemplating what's happening with the collective as well, that can be very powerful as part of that practice. But yeah, there's something very empowering about knowing that you have a relationship with your external environment. You have a relationship with the sky. And uh, to just go back a moment, because you had said earlier about, you know, the ephemeris and knowing how to read that and calculate. Um, Interestingly, way back in the day when I was a graduate student, I remember I came across a paper written by Allie Bird and I went to graduate school in England. And she said in that paper, which was based on uh, astrological education in Great Britain. And she estimated that there were only about 1,500 astrologers in all of England who knew how to calculate a chart just using an ephemeris, no computer program at all. And it seems like such a, a fundamental part of what we practice, but it's one of those things that has, it is on that precipice of without our intention, it could become almost a lost art unless we have the clear intention not to let that happen. Absolutely. I think that it's, you know, and this is kind of a a larger um, process that's been unfolding, especially in recent decades where we do hand so much over to technology and to software and our dependence on computers and our phones and by all no by all means this is not to disparage that because what a gift that i can you know be watching a film and see a certain archetypal quality in it and then look up the the actor and director's charts and you know it's it's instantaneous it's extraordinary so it's changed astrological research and this is probably my natal saturn uranus speaking i also want to hold the value of that kind of Uranian innovation and balance it with the importance of Saturnian tradition and being able to know um, how people have done these calculations for um, for decades, for centuries. Um, I mean, even having an accurate ephemeris is not something we've had through all of astrological history. Um, our our ability to know exactly where the planets are at any given time and having that in ephemeris, that's all post-Copernican revolution. And um, and then, of course, with the outer planets, with their discovery. So it really is this beautiful blend of the old and the new. And I just think it's really valuable for uh, an astrology student to be grounded in those practices and to know um, you know, where the knowledge is coming from and essentially what's standing behind the uh, the software that we so often gratefully turn to. Know, yeah. Right. We're, we're very blessed. Now I'm going to switch gears a little bit because the yeah. thing I was really excited to talk to you about, of course, it has to do with Jupiter in Taurus. We right now, as we're talking, we're in, you know, I want to say hours, but actually it's just been a couple of days of Jupiter having moved into the sign of Taurus. Uh, what are your first thoughts as you look at the fact that this big shift has just taken place? 
Well, with Jupiter moving into Taurus, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is who else has been lingering in Taurus for multiple years, and that's the presence of Uranus. And um, Jupiter-Uranus conjunctions, they only happen about every 14 years, and uh, they last for about 14 months. And it's an easy way to remember it, 14 and 14. And the there's a kind of mutually enhancing quality when Jupiter and Uranus come together. It's like they both have the same vector or trajectory. And so what Jupiter, which, you know, brings its expansiveness, its joyousness, its sense of abundance and wealth and riches and, um, you know, kind of that glorious optimism of Jupiter, um, as soon as it starts coming into relationship with Uranus, which I don't know about you, but with that shift into Taurus, I've just started feeling that archetypal quality saturating the collective as it's just starting to come in. Um, it's kind of this sparkle because Uranus awakens, it liberates, it brings um, freedom and innovation and new ideas. And with the blessing of Jupiter, those innovations are often successful or they're um, just like blessed breakthroughs that sometimes we've been waiting for. Um, one arch archetypal astrologer I know, Matthew Stelzner, calls uh, Jupiter Uranus the thank the Lord transit, which I think is just such a fantastic characterization of it. And People who are born with Jupiter Uranus or during Jupiter Uranus periods, we tend to say things like, wow, or isn't that amazing? Um, and one thing I've found is when we aren't in Jupiter Uranus periods, we can tend to forget how good they feel <laughs> until they come around again. And then there's just this sense of uh, like hope and possibility and um a potential for radical breakthrough. I mean, there is a shadow side for sure. It can be adolescent. It can, you know, rebel without a cause kind of quality. Um, it's the the Peter Pan aspect or the the eternal child in both its wonderful, positive, soaring forms and you know the negative forms like the myth of Icarus, you know, flying too high and not heeding one's, uh, in this case, father's advice and coming crashing down. So we should be mindful going into these next, you know, just over a year with that transit. But that being said, um, there's a tremendous potential for creativity and um, new meetings, new possibilities at every level. Um, you know, we can see that at the collective uh, arena for sure. But I think what's maybe especially important is looking to that in one's own individual life. What new relationships or friendships or work connections blossom? What new projects or endeavors do you take on? If you've been sitting on something that you've been wanting to bring out into the world, this is the time, whether it's something that you've been working on for years or a project that has just been a nascent idea and it's time to plant that seed and see how it grows. It's like the soil is more fertile with Jupiter Uranus. And that metaphor, I think, is maybe especially apt for Jupiter Uranus in Taurus, where it has that kind of earthy ability to put down roots and grow and, and blossom in such um, potentially beautiful ways. So anyway, those are some of my thoughts on, on Jupiter Uranus and, and Taurus. Thanks. 
I love that. And some of the first thoughts, certainly. But um, yeah, especially in the sign of Taurus, it's rather interesting because, as you said, it's putting down roots. And I also think of it as manifesting. And so usually with Uranus, it's pure thought, right? That's the thing. It's pure ideas. And with uh, Jupiter, of course, magnifying whatever it touches, making that energy that much bigger, but it's happening in Earth. And so there's something about it not being just about the idea, but how that changes reality in some way. And especially with Taurus, it could change our understanding of how we earn money, how we spend money. There could be a new technology that comes out in regards to that. Um, now, I hate to say it, but maybe it's not a bad thing either. Uh, I've been talking to a lot of people recently about AI, right? Everybody, ever since Pluto went into Aquarius, the whole world just overnight started buzzing about AI and what could happen and the dark side of it or whatever. And I have a friend who works uh, with AI. He did his PhD in, in artificial intelligence. When I was in graduate school, he was a dear friend of mine. And he was saying that it really comes down to reimagining what work will be. That's what it is. Like, what is the workforce going to be? What will their intention be? What will their purpose be? And re-examining and reimagining the very nature of work itself is going to be part of the change. But he was saying, you know, one thing is certain, the change is, it's not only coming, it's pretty much here. And it's only just going to become more and more obvious. And so when I look at Jupiter and Uranus together, I wonder about Uranus being the future, being technology. Maybe this is going to be that first opportunity to reimagine in some way. Because we as a collective, I think with Pluto having just stepped into Aquarius, we've been envisioning this as a very scary thing, like AI. And certainly there is a dark side uh, to that, of course. But I think we haven't... Uh, spent enough time in contemplating the other side of it, which is this could lead to much more rewarding work for more people. It could lead to more balanced lives for more people as well as we reimagine work. You know, maybe we don't have to work, you know, 60, 80 hours uh, a week anymore. Um, the type of work that people are uh, gravitating towards, moving towards, becomes a lot more creative, becomes more in alignment with self-actualization as more monotonous types of jobs get taken over by computers. And that's that might really be okay. Like it might be okay if um, people are encouraged to look at what it is that they have to give through work differently uh, than just doing what's necessary but to see work itself as more expansive. And so I would I wondered about your thoughts where it came to. Uh, what do you think uh, this Jupiter-Uranus could say about the economy, especially because by the time we get into June, uh, Pluto will step out of Aquarius. And I think a lot of people are going to take a bit of an exhale, at least from the fear. Um, what do you think that these events happening almost simultaneously, the conjunction starting to perfect and the retrograde of Pluto. Um, what could that say about the economy itself? Mm. Well, it's a really interesting question and kind of, yeah, interesting to look at those two motions happening kind of simultaneously. And with the kind of sudden emergence of AI onto the scene, there's a few different 
correlations we can look to. I mean, one, of course, is the Pluto shift into Aquarius. Another one um, that is maybe a little bit more subtle, but started in August of 2022 is um, Uranus and Pluto, which were in such a dramatic square from 2007 to 2020. And my goodness, did we feel the, it, you know, it kind of conclude in 2020. But it's shifted from that di- dynamism of the 90 degree square to a softer angle of the trine. And that's going to be with us for almost a decade. And Uranus Pluto tends to correlate with Pluto drives what it touches, and it's driving the Uranian innovation of technology, of science. Um, and you know, many of of course, there's the whole kind of social sphere with Uranus Pluto, but just focusing in on the technological. And that's just as that trine is coming in, we see. AI really coming to the fore. And I love it when you can kind of point to multiple correlations of like the Uranus-Pluto trine. You can also see it with um, Pluto moving into Aquarius. In some ways, a lot of the hesitation we see, I think, is correlated with the fact we're right at the end of this long Saturn square to Uranus. So Uranus is like, yes, move forward, move towards the future. And Saturn's like, no, 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 this could be really dangerous. Um, And that technically leaves orb it, we're really on the outer edge of it but it's going to come back into orb through november of this year so it's this multiple layered dialogue that's taking place but what's at the core of all of them is your honest right it's this technological question this innovative question and um i really appreciate what you brought up about how does this change the nature of work because um the way our economy is, this the spiritual dignity has been taken out of a lot of work for a very, very long time. And when you scale down to the core, um, or the you should maybe say the foundation of an economy, it has to do with survival. So food, water, shelter. And especially when it comes to food production, the dignity has really been taken out of how our food is produced. And then it just kind of layers all the way up or down from there. And so that's something where, you know, I have two sides. There's the um, the more cynical side that's that's worried about the trajectory that may be unfolding and how as, as more is given to AI because it's you know more cost effective and all of these different things and more and more people are out of work it can it strips the livelihood it strips the the dignity but on the other hand does it as you're saying create space for um, a support system where there is more meaningful work that we can tap into or where we can actually because there's this Uranian acceleration with the technology, um, with AI, and all the ways that that's applied, is there slowing down in other areas that can take place um, where, you know, art is given away to AI and suddenly the, the human artist is rediscovered because it's not connected to a need to produce, 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 make money, and so forth. Um, I genuinely don't know. It's like these two paths that just seem laid before us. But um, that question of the spiritual dignity of vital work is a really significant one, I think. And maybe points toward 
um, one of the next big alignments, not that we need to dive too deeply into this, but following this Jupiter-Uranus, we have a Saturn-Neptune conjunction coming in. And of course, Saturn and Neptune are already co-present in Pisces. So we're, we're feeling the beginning of that. But just archetypally, if you think about the spiritual dignity of work, Neptune relates to that spirituality and, and Saturn relates to work, to dignity, and seeing how those come together. I think there'll be plenty of challenges with the Saturn-Neptune, but that may be a potential more positive inflection of it, or at least something we can strive for under that transit, which starts coming in next year, 2024. I love talking about the big transits, I'll tell you. <laughs> I love that you're putting it into context with Uranus trine Pluto. I actually think the Uranus trine Pluto in air signs in the early degrees of Gemini and Aquarius, I think that that is likely to be perhaps the most important um, alignment of the decade in terms of how it actually changes our world. Mm. And I've been saying for a while, I mean, for many years, I've been saying the world that we start the 2020s with will be a very different world than we end the 2020s with. There's going to be such a change, such a growth and yeah, technology. Also, I think, and I hope rationality as well, you know, more balanced perspectives, uh, more inclusivity. Um, more space for people to be authentically themselves. My hope is that that's a part of it as well, because Uranus is sometimes associated with uh, equal rights movements and equality, um, human rights movements as well. Um, you know, interestingly, what you just were sharing about Saturn and Neptune, they will conjunct at zero degrees, at zero degrees. Both these planets dip into zero degrees of um, of Aries uh, in 2025 for a little bit, but then they really perfect and tighten that conjunction at zero degrees of Aries in 2026. I think it's right around Valentine's Day, if I remember correctly. And so it's quite remarkable to think about this huge shift, you know, after this long period of energies that were earth and water, basically, right? And we're really heightening up that energy of water leading up to it. And then just like that, the energies switch into fire and air, which is such a different reality. It's different priorities, different focus for us. It's um, it's so fascinating to consider how this moment right now as we're talking about Jupiter and Uranus meeting in the sky, how this is part of getting that, that ball rolling towards these big shifts that are coming up really soon. Oh, that's such a great point. That kind of the emphasis right now on earth and water. And there's just, even as I say that, how we can take that very literally and symbolically, like the, of course, the symbolism of earth and water, it, it's yin, it's pulling us downward. Um, it is a kind of descent that we've been in. Um, and then very literally, like we need to be focusing on earth and water right now in an ecological sense, in a humanitarian sense, um, you know, for the, the well-being and survival of the earth community. Um, and so what that shift into fire and air signifies, um, it is really going to be quite a profound change. And um, as you were saying that, I kind of got this image of like 
having that ground to push off of into something new, into something different. And um, yeah, the fact that the Saturn Neptune forms its exact conjunction at zero degrees Aries does just feel kind of remarkable how they travel together through Pisces and then they'll travel together through Aries and those two planets will be co-present for what is it about five years so this is going to be one of the most kind of potent Saturn Neptune conjunctions you know that we can look to we haven't had a Saturn Neptune conjunction since the late 80s so wow yeah. yeah. And last time Saturn and Neptune conjuncted, Uranus was in the mix. It was in Capricorn. And um, some people look at that as a few different layers. One is uh, certainly it changed the nature of our understanding of companies and corporations, especially with businesses going online. That would have been the very beginning, that impetus, that seed moment. The other thing that people point to is the fact that that represented um, this new wave of understanding where it came to environmentalism, actually caring about the environment, our understanding of our impact on the environment. Because I remember way back then, as a child, um, people talking about climate change, right? Back then, we called it global warming. And I remember people saying, this is coming, this is coming, this, these energies are taking place, we have to reverse course, we have to change this. And we didn't really do that. And now we're here and scientists are saying, we've got like 10 years, if we really want to have a positive impact, if we really want to do something of consequence, we've got 10 years to turn it around or else... Um, that's it. It's just, uh, we're going to have to get used to really extreme weather and, uh, you know, weather refugees and, and all this kind of, um, a whole other way of understanding how the planet operates, which could be really challenging for us as humanity. And so all these different layers together, I'm thinking about this in the context of Jupiter meeting Uranus in an air, in an earth sign rather happening right about now. And how that may encourage us to, yeah, pay attention to the earth. Look at what is happening with the earth and where maybe we need to very quickly bring a different perspective, bring healing or, or tap into technologies to change course as well. That's such a great point. And, you know, I've been thinking about the fact that in this, this next series of transits that we have the Jupiter-Uranus first. And then the Saturn-Neptune. Of course, this Jupiter-Uranus is coming after Uranus-Pluto square, and then the Jupiter-Saturn-Pluto COVID triple conjunction, and then this Saturn-Uranus square that's been so challenging. Um, so it is kind of like, I'm hoping, a breath of fresh air. But it's also going to be followed by that Saturn-Neptune. And um, as you were bringing up the Saturn-Neptune with Uranus in the late, late 80s, early 90s, um, how that was really bringing climate change, um, ocean pollution, global warming to the fore. And each time we see Saturn, Neptune align, um, there is like the opposition. The, this is the conjunction coming up. The opposition prior to this was when Hurricane Katrina happened, when um, the Indonesian tsunami happened. Like, there's a lot of potential for destruction by water or airborne or waterborne diseases. These, you know, these things that are not um, 
not fun to look forward to, um, that posed tremendous challenges. And so, again, if we look at the sequence of, just as you were saying, that kind of gift of the Jupiter-Uranus, how do we use that gift of um, this burst of creative potential and not waste it so that we're ready when the Saturn-Neptune comes, as it inevitably will, like a great wave coming in over the ocean, um, rather than, you know, here's a good kind of fable to think of, you know, the fable of the grasshopper, that um, it's, you know, it kind of fiddles away the summer while the ants are busy working and preparing for winter. I feel like this Jupiter-Uranus, there's going to be a lot of temptation for it to be like the fiddling away the summer. Um, and rather if we use that creative energy to prepare for the winter or to prepare for the great wave or whatever it is of the Saturn Neptune, um, then we won't be in the position of the grasshopper who's, you know, cold and without food come, come winter. We'll rather be in the position of the ants who can then offer help to, to the grasshoppers. Um, so because that is a quality of Jupiter Uranus where it's so freeing and exciting that we may just want to take a break and play for once, which to be fair, I think we deserve, um, after such intense several years, but, um, how to direct that creative fire as much as possible to, you know, forge the connections that we need with, with our neighbors, with our communities, with our families. That's something we often see under Jupiter Uranus is the formation of new groups and new organizations and um again kind of new ways of directing that creative potential so that when the saturn neptune comes um we have as much available to us at least as um as we humanly can make available um yeah anyway <laughs> Becca, I love talking these big transits with you. I am so big picture. So that's what really does uh, get me going when we look at those really big trends and especially what it means for humanity. I absolutely love talking about that stuff. And everybody out there, you can see how brilliant Becca is and why it is that she's been invited to speak at Synchronicity University as part of the July 2023 speaker series, you've got a couple of weeks left to choose your tuition rate as always just $5 a class. And you can learn a lot more about her talk and sign up now at synchronicityuniversity.com. Becca, thank you. Thank you so much for being here. I'm looking forward to your talk and I'm looking forward to more contemplations of these big cultural waves that are set to take place and how we can be part of co-creating a world where things change for the better. Mm. Oh, thank you so much for this conversation and for exploring these big ideas together and um, all the avenues that, that you opened up in your thought and ideas. So thank you. And once again, thank you for the opportunity to come to Synchronicity University and to offer this class for your students. I so look forward to meeting everyone and working with them and um, offering this material. You are such a pro. You are so gracious. Uh, and I just am so happy that everything's coming together in the perfect time. So thank you again, Becca. And thank you, everybody out there for watching. Until we connect again, take care. Bye.